Hello, my name is Emily Clark. I head up the tax team at Travis Smith, and I would like to welcome you to the third episode in our Travelling Seamlessly Global Mobility podcast series. In this series, members of the Travis Smith Global Mobility team will talk to you about the implications of moving your people and operations into and out of different countries, and also talk about situations where members of your team may need to work in more than one country. In our first episode, we looked at the tax issues that can arise in relation to employees coming to the UK, and we noted then that different rules would apply in relation to inbound directors. Now, in this episode, Claire Prentice and Tom Leatherby, specialists in incentives and remuneration work, will focus in on the rules that apply to non-UK resident directors that come to the UK. Companies might appoint non-resident directors for a number of reasons, most likely because of the expertise that that individual can bring to the business. Claire and Tom will discuss the income tax, national insurance contribution and expense considerations in relation to such individuals. To find out more about the issues discussed in this podcast, the Travis Smith Global Mobility Team and how we can help with your global mobility projects, you can visit our website www.traverssmith.com and search for Global Mobility. Hello and welcome to our third podcast on Global Mobility. My name is Tom Leatherby and I'm an associate in Travis Smith's Incentives and Remuneration team. I'm joined today by Claire Prentice, a senior associate in our team, and we'll be discussing the tax issues that arise when non-UK resident directors of UK companies come to work in the UK. We're hearing a lot in the news lately about a shortage of UK directors and the need for UK companies to recruit from abroad. And at the same time, global travel has opened up again, meaning that this could be a live issue for many employers. We'll aim to summarise the issues as succinctly as possible. But as with anything involving labour mobility, it is important to remember that this is a complex, fact-specific area where we recommend taking further advice. So, Claire, will you summarise the headline points for me? Yes, thank you, Tom. So the key takeaway from this podcast is that directors need to be treated differently from ordinary employees in relation to PAYE. For example, ordinary employees who come to the UK for less than 183 days may be able to rely on certain tax exemptions. This means that their employers do not have to operate PAYE on their earnings. However, these short-term business visitor exemptions are not available to non-UK resident directors, meaning that UK companies will quickly be subject to PAYE reporting obligations regardless of how long the non-UK resident directors perform their duties in the UK. Whilst the PAYE position is at least legally relatively straightforward, the other issues that must always be considered are, one, national insurance contributions, and that's the name for social security contributions in the UK, and two, the tax treatment of any accommodation, travel or other expenses. Thanks, Claire. And what are the practical implications of this? So practically speaking, UK companies must ensure that they comply with their PAYE reporting obligations in respect of non-resident directors working in the UK. There is also a communications piece in that it is important to ensure that the non-resident director understands the UK tax implications of performing duties in the UK at an early stage. It should also be noted that HMRC can and do look at companies' house records in order to try and determine whether a UK company is failing on its PAYE obligations in relation to UK directors, as the directors' names will be public. And any PAYE failure could lead to liabilities for unpaid tax. 
Thanks. And what are the consequences of a failure? As a starting point, the UK company could be liable for underpaid income tax employee and employer national insurance contributions and potentially the apprenticeship levy as well. From April 2022, both employee and employer national insurance contributions increased by 1.25%, such increase to be replaced by the separate health and social care levy in 2023. Interest and penalties may also apply to these sums. In other words, the costs of non-compliance are only increasing. Separately, an HMRC inquiry can also cost the business in terms of management time and advisor's fees. Finally, any non-compliance brings with it reputational risks for the UK company. And how should employers be calculating the right amount of income tax to deduct under PAYE? So for most tax purposes, the basic charging rules that apply to non-resident employees should therefore apply to non-resident directors, although as mentioned, the rules between employees and directors do diverge elsewhere. The starting position is that you need to consider where the individual performs their duties. Individuals will be charged to UK income tax on the earnings they receive for duties performed in the UK. As non-resident directors are likely to perform their directorship duties both in the UK and abroad, their fees are generally allocated between UK and non-UK duties using time apportionment. For example, if an individual spends 50% of their working days performing duties in the UK and 50% abroad, their director's fees would also be split 50-50. The income attributed to the duties performed in the UK would be charged to UK income tax, but the duties performed abroad would not. And can employers just operate PAY on this basis or do they have to speak to HMRC first? If employers want to operate POE on the estimated proportion of earnings that relate to UK workdays, then they should apply to HMRC for a particular direction which is referred to as a 690 direction. Non-resident directors should still record their actual UK and overseas workdays throughout the tax year as they will need to reconcile their estimated and actual UK earnings when they submit their personal self-assessment tax returns. These directions are more difficult to obtain for non-executive directors coming to the UK as they are more likely to perform all of their duties whilst physically present in the UK. If an employer doesn't apply for a direction or is unable to obtain one, then they must operate POE on all payments made to the non-resident director for work performed both in and outside the UK. The individual could then claim a repayment for the tax deducted from earnings that relates to overseas work on their self-assessment return, but this leads to a clear disadvantage in terms of cash flow. So that's how you apportion the income between directors UK and non-UK GTs. But if someone acts as a UK director and also has wider, say, non-director roles, then how do I tell which earnings are in respect of the directorship and which are in respect of the other role? That's a really good point. So um, the first thing to do is to look at the service agreement between the company and the director. If the agreement sets out the fees attributable to the directorship, and these are reasonable given the circumstances and accurately reflect what happens in practice, then it should be quite straightforward to attribute these fees to that role. The fees would then be apportioned between UK and non-UK duties as discussed. However, things become more complicated where a service agreement says that the UK directorship is not remunerated or it says that the individual is simply paid a global fee for both director and non-director duties. In these circumstances, it would be advisable to allocate a proportion of their total remuneration to the UK directorship role. This will depend on the circumstances, but a key consideration will be whether UK resident directors are remunerated in the same way. For example, a non-resident individual 
may act as a director in the UK and perform wider duties overseas which are not subject to UK tax. The service agreement may state that the UK directorship is not remunerated, but the individual may receive a large amount of pay in respect of their wider non-UK duties. On the face of it, this arrangement wouldn't give rise to any UK income tax. However, if it transpires that UK resident directors at the company are receiving director fees, then we would normally recommend apportioning part of the non-UK directors fees to their UK director duties in the same way. Otherwise, it might be argued that the arrangement has been deliberately structured in order to avoid UK income tax, and HMRC might seek to charge a significant proportion of the fee to UK tax. Companies should, of course, remember that there are wider considerations than just income tax. Yes, so there's also national insurance contributions, or NICs as they're referred to in the UK, to consider. Uh, unfortunately, the rules are completely different to the income tax regime, and so UK companies should consider the NICs position separately. The first step uh, in each case is to determine where the inbound director is actually coming from, and there are three different regimes that could apply. So the first looks at uh, individuals from the EU and Switzerland. Another applies to countries that have reciprocal agreements with the UK regarding social security contributions. And then the final regime applies to all other states, and those are referred to as rest of world countries. So where an individual is coming from the EU, Switzerland or a reciprocal agreement country, i.e. not a rest of world country, uh, then the relevant regime will normally determine which state has the relevant charging rights. An employer would have to work through the rules to determine whether the individual is liable to pay NICs in the UK or social security contributions abroad. It may be that a non-resident director remains liable to pay social security contributions in their home state and that no UK NICs are therefore due. Or conversely, uh, the individual may fall within the UK NIC regime and employee and employer class 1 NICs may be due on the earnings from the directorship. In each case, you'd have to look at the terms of the UK's agreement on social security contributions with the EU or the relevant uh, reciprocal agreements with the other states. And you need to do this on a case by case basis. What's the position for rest of world countries? So for the rest of the world countries, HMRC has made a concession for administrative purposes and they accept that non-resident directors of UK companies do not have to pay class one NICs where the director only visits the UK to attend board meetings, provided that they either attend 10 or fewer board meetings in the tax year, with each visit lasting no more than two nights at a time, or they attend one board meeting in the tax year with the visit lasting no more than two weeks. If you're relying on the first concession, where the director attends 10 or fewer board meetings with each visit lasting no longer than two nights, then it's important to note that you can't average the time that the director actually spends visiting the UK, and so each visit must last no longer than two nights in total. And how do the rules work for expenses? Presumably these could be quite large for non-resident directors. Yes, I think the main expenses that come to mind are going to be travel expenses, so to and from the UK, along with subsistence and overnight accommodation. UK employers may already be aware of the basic rule, which is that travel expenses and the associated subsistence and accommodation costs are not deductible where they represent ordinary commuting, that is, commuting between a permanent workplace and home. If a UK employer pays these expenses for ordinary commuting, then they will be taxable and the company will need to report the expenses to HMRC in the appropriate way. Typically, this would be using a form P11D, um, but that's assuming that the benefits aren't being payrolled. However, if you were to simply travel to a temporary workplace, this would not be ordinary commuting, and so the costs will be deductible for tax purposes, provided that the director's attendance is necessary at that workplace.
So what is a temporary workplace for these purposes? Well, broadly, a workplace will be temporary if a director only goes there to perform a task of limited duration or for a temporary purpose. If a workplace meets this description, then the employer still needs to consider some other rules. The most notable is referred to as the 24-month rule, and this applies where a non-UK resident director attends a workplace regularly for a period exceeding or expected to exceed 24 months, and they spend 40% or more of their working time in respect of the directorship at that workplace. So if these conditions are met, then HMRC will still deem the workplace to be a permanent workplace, meaning that travel, subsistence and accommodation expenses will be taxable. So it sounds like non-UK resident directors with substantial long-term duties in the UK are likely to be taxed on their expenses, is that right? Yes, although there is a limited exception which applies to non-UK resident and non-domiciled directors, and these individuals may be able to claim tax relief for travel expenses between their home states and the UK for up to five years from their arrival in the UK. However, UK companies will need to make sure that they meet the relevant conditions. I think we'll end it there for today as it's a large topic, um, but we hope that this has proved a useful overview of the main points that UK companies should be considering. Importantly, employers shouldn't simply assume that non-UK resident directors will be treated like ordinary employees for tax purposes, and they should analyse the NIC position separately. Thanks very much for listening, and uh, goodbye until next time.